Tony, Paige, and team, thank you so much uh, for leading us in worship. I love that last song, Sunday's Coming. Uh, one of the lyrics that sparked the truth in my mind today, as if the song didn't have enough truths that it declared, was where the, the hymn writer said that Jesus let himself be arrested. We, we do know that Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for our sins, right? It wasn't a world that was too strong for him and, and overcame him. It was Jesus willingly hanging on a cross and dying for our sins uh, so we could experience new life, resurrected life. And so we could have the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is a, a stamp of guarantee of our future, uh, the hope we have in Christ. That, that's something to celebrate, isn't it? We have a God strong, stronger than death and hell itself. And, and that's kind of the direction we're going in today with our message uh, we're sort of in the middle of a, a series of messages entitled New Lens. And uh, what we're hoping to do, just for a six-week window at the start of the fall, uh, all I'm looking to do is simply start a conversation, friends, about the necessity of, of moving through life with a biblical worldview. There's no doubt in my mind that each and every one of us looks at the world in which we live, uh, looks at the issues that we face, either as individuals or as a collective whole, we look at the direction we hope to go through in life through a variety of lenses. We know this. Uh, what is our culture? What is our political persuasion? What is our family background? What does our own self-interest say to us that can help guide us in any and every decision that we make? Well, what I want, pray, what I ultimately happens for all of us is that we will look through all of those facets of life through a biblical spiritual lens, realizing that our holy scriptures offer us the best insights for what God truly desires for our lives. And as our creator, he knows what we need. And it's the scriptures we find that. Uh, somebody a lot of us listen to online is a guy named Mike Winger. He always talks about needing to think scripturally. And that's kind of the conversation I want to start with you, is we need to think scripturally with whatever we face in this life. Well, today we're going to be looking at a topic that many mainline denominations, Methodism being one of them, in most recent generations have spent very little time discussing or reflecting, and that's, and that's the supernatural. So, so, so please know, just in full transparency, I may be a little bit out of my element today, but I'm going to try with the help of the Holy Spirit to make some sense over this particular topic. You know, as a culture, we're sort of obsessed with, with um, supernatural, aren't we? Uh, with, with battles of good versus evil, heaven versus hell. Uh, so much so that they're really the main plot line of many of our favorite movies, storybooks, and series on Netflix. Growing up, my family loved the X-Files. Uh, maybe the modern-day version of the X-Files now is, is um, uh, what's it called, uh, Stranger Things. Anyone watch Stranger Things? Some of you? Uh, Marvel Universe franchise, those movies, the, those storylines. Uh, what, what else is there? There's Battlestar Galactica, for some of you who might be a little older. Uh, my older kids right now, Maggie and Elias, have gotten into a show that my father and I used to watch growing up called The Twilight Zone. Who watched The Twilight Zone? I think it's from the 50s or 60s. Some of us did. I love the opening narration of The Twilight Zone. Here it is. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. So some of you are getting nostalgic now, aren't you? It's a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. 
It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of the imagination. This is the area we call the twilight zone. <laughs> Love it. You know, heaven and hell, angels, demons, these are the things that fuel science fiction and horror flicks. Even with that said, church, it doesn't make them any less real. In fact, I have heard it said that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing people that he didn't exist. But listen, though our culture has walked in lockstep with the devil, subjugating him to, to our imaginations, to, to the superstition, and the authority of Jesus alone, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a supernatural realm, that it is real, that there is an unseen reality happening all around us. Our memory verse sort of kind of sets up this reality today. We're going to look at a, well, well, the memory verse for today is out of Matthew 25, and it's Jesus speaking to his disciples about the separation of people based off of people who follow him putting their faith in action in real and tangible ways. And so the memory verse for this week, you know, we're in Core 52. It's this year-long initiative. We're trying to raise the biblical IQ of our congregation, get you to think scripturally. And this week, that verse is Matthew 25, 41. Could you read it with me? Jesus says, or I said, he will say to those on his left, here it is, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, even though this sets up our conversation for this morning, and it's our memory verse for this week, what I want to do is not really focus on this specific verse, but actually focus on an, a, a segment of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 6. And in Ephesians chapter 6, at the end of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he's helping us learn how to prepare ourselves for all the spiritual battles, listen, we're not maybe going to face, but we will face in life. Again, church, there is a battle taking place all around us that we cannot ignore, okay? And just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. Therefore, as Scripture tells us, we must be prepared. L listen to this well-known passage of Scripture out of Ephesians chapter 6. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through the pen and the mouth of the Apostle Paul. When he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the cunningness of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and finally the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert and always persevere in supplication for all the saints. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, I just ask in the midst of these next few moments as we 
uh, step onto this holy ground of, of spiritual warfare, that you just bless the words of my lips, the meditation of all our hearts, that they be a profit to us and acceptable to you, for you indeed are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Tuesday, June 6, 1944, 6.30 in the morning, 5,000 ships carrying 160,000 uh, men from our uh, allied troops uh, approached the southern beaches of Normandy, France, in what has become known as the largest modern invasion. We know it as, as D-Day. Some of the men who survived that invasion said that they remember the steady stream of encouraging words that, that came over the ship's intercom as they were preparing to disembark and, and, and storm the, the beaches of Normandy. They heard things like this, fight to get your troops ashore, fight to shave your ships, and if you got any strength left, fight to save yourselves. When all was said and done, over 2,500 American troops died that day, many in the span of, of just 15 minutes, less time than what it's going to take me to deliver this message today. You know, as the boats reached the shoreline, disembarking soldiers literally had to crawl over the bodies of other soldiers in order to get ashore. Now, friends, I don't share this morbid image to emphasize, uh, I only share this morbid image, excuse me, to emphasize that these men approached those beaches that day with no delusions about what they were walking into. None of them thought, you know, we're going to go on an exotic beach vacation on the, the southern uh, beaches of Normandy, France. So let's grab our beach towel and our, our floaty. No, they didn't say that. They knew they were walking straight into the onslaught of an enemy who wanted nothing more than to destroy them. At the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, he, he pulls back the curtain on life to show us all that we are in the midst of a battle that is no less stringent with an enemy no less fierce. Friends, here's the tragedy of it all. Many of us have no idea that we're actually in a battle. We sort of approach life as if it were, let's be honest, a vacation, not a war. A playground, not a battleground. Yes, we'd love to change the reality that we're faced with, but the fact remains that we are in a real battle fighting against a real enemy. And friends, unless we wake up to that reality, guess what? We're probably going to end up like one of the casualties. So Paul begins the conclusion of his letter to the church in Ephesus by saying this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. No, your issue is not your mother-in-law. No, your issue is not that friend or colleague that just keeps frustrating you beyond no end. No, your issue is not that dog that is about as undisciplined as they come and his name is Amos. Yes, that's my dog. Paul is saying, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities, against the powers of darkness. Okay, let's state the obvious. Paul believed in an unseen spirituality, as did Jesus. In fact, much of Jesus' ministry was spent in direct conflict with the demonic. Uh, think about the demoniac in the Gerasene hillside. Think, think about how, you know, people would say that, that he drives out demons by calling out to other demons. He always was in direct conflict with the demonic. Much of his ministry was described as um, uh, proclaiming liberty to the captives. 
right? A, a captive, of course, implies that there is someone or something that, is, that, that, that the captive is captive to. So throughout Ephesians, Paul refers to the Christian life as a struggle, a fight, a battle against evil forces. I know life apart from Christ is a struggle and a fight and a battle. So if you think being a Christian is going to elude you from the fight, the struggle, or the battle, that's not true. That's not how it's described in Scripture. Now, we do have a help in the fight, the struggle, and the battle, but there's still a fight, a struggle, and a battle. So Paul ends with his letter giving a list of weapons that we need in order to engage this battle effectively. C.S. Lewis, the great writer of the 20th century, uh, said this, when it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously, or they do not take him seriously enough. Maybe you know Christians in the first category. They take the devil way too seriously. Like they attribute every bad thing to the devil, right? Like a dead car battery, a traffic jam, the ridiculously increased cost of Diet Coke, right? All because the devil's done it and he's trying to ruin my life. There's people that fall in that camp. There's other people who fall in the other camp who don't think he exists at all or just disregard him as having any type of influence or power over us. Friends, listen, not only does that ignore a significant theme in the Bible. Remember, core 52 is hitting the 52 core themes in scriptures in our Bible, and this is one of them. So it's not only ignoring that theme, but it's going to cause us to be completely caught off guard if we really don't want to give the devil his due. Okay, here's the truth. I love what J.D. Greer says. He says, Satan could care less whether you believe in him or not because he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. But Paul in 2 Corinthians actually says that the devil can be disguised as an angel of light, which means the devil can transform himself into whatever he needs to transform himself into to deceive you and me, even if that means he takes on the form of one of God's angels. It's this subtle, covert work of the devil to, to hoodwink us into thinking that bad is good and good is bad. Look at our culture today in America. How many specific issues are, are, are being redefined where, where we are seeing good being called bad and bad being called good. It's happening in every single arena right now in America. Uh, Tony Campolo says it best. He says, the devil is the one appearing in movies telling us that romantic love and sexual fantasies are the key to fulfillment. The devil's the one behind the economic system that teaches us that money is the key to success and happiness. He's the one who sits in the psychologist's chair offering ultimate hope in a life apart from God. Which, by the way, is one reason I tell you if you need counseling, and counseling's a great thing, make sure you go to a Christian counselor because they're going to steer you in a way that's, that, that's, that's rooted in Scripture, rooted in a life with Jesus. But I digress. Tony Campola goes on to say, the devil is the one who works in and through governments that coddle people into thinking government help is the answer. He's also the one teaching us from the pulpit that life is about you, that God wants you to be rich, that hell is not for real, and that the standards of the Bible were for a different time and a different people. Friends, listen, whether or not you want to believe it, there is a battle raging on. 
with a real enemy who's trying to kill and destroy you. Not just your body, but your very soul. So what Paul says about spiritual armor in Ephesians 6, I think, is just as relevant to us today as it was 2,000 years ago when he first wrote it. So I beg you to pay serious attention to what Paul wants to share with us. So, so in, in giving this spiritual armor at the end of Ephesians 6, uh, friends, Paul is not offering us a, a new theme at the conclusion of his letter to the church. I mean, that would be silly, right? Look, I, I'm back in seminary getting a, a, another advanced degree, and like any good student knows, that you don't introduce new material at the conclusion of a paper or a letter, right? No, that's the, the conclusion is to summarize what you have just talked about and worked through in the body of the letter. So introducing the spiritual armor here is, is not Paul sharing a new idea. Paul is simply summarizing what he has just spent six chapters talking about. Spiritual armor is just simply Paul's way to, to, in a very applicable and relatable way, apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to the various parts of our life. By the way, that's what Paul's been talking about for six chapters, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God in our lives. You want true power in your life? It comes with a life rooted in the gospel. The gospel is the way God reverses the corruption of sin and death. We sang about it this morning. Praise be to God for the cross. The gospel, friends, is what repels the devil from you. You speak the word of God at the devil, the scripture tells us the devil will flee. He doesn't hang around when the word of God is being spoken. It's being lived out. I love how J.D. Greer, let me quote him one more time, articulates this reality. He says, the way we keep the corrupting influences of the enemy out of our lives, here it is, is by establishing every part of our life our hopes, our dreams, our failures, our worries, our fears, our relationships, our pleasures, our disappointments, to establish every part of our life on the gospel. Now the flip side of that is whatever part of our life is not established on the gospel, whether that be our marriage, our job, our dreams, or whatever, whatever part is not saturated in the gospel, guess what? that part of your life is subject to manipulation by the enemy against you. You hear what I'm saying? Let, let me give you a few examples of this. Uh, a little earlier on in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says the devil can use unresolved anger in your life to destroy your relationships. If your emotions are not rooted in the gospel, your emotions can get manipulated by the devil and work against you. This, this issue with unresolved anger, if I could be completely transparent with you this morning, was an issue I've dealt with my whole life. In my unresolved anger, the devil has used to manipulate and, and has used it to destroy relationships in my circles. And, and the power that has reconciled those relationships has been a repentant heart and, and a seeking of forgiveness. But it doesn't mean the devil still can't use it if it's not resolved, if it's not saturated in the gospel. Well, let me give you some biblical examples. Peter. Right? Peter had unresolved fears in his life. What did the devil do? He used those unresolved fears to get Peter to deny his relationship with Jesus Christ, not once, not twice, but three times in the hour of his greatest need, the night he was arrested before he was hung on a cross and died. Uh, let me give you an Old Testament one. David, 
The devil used David's issue with pride. It was an unresolved issue in his life. He used that issue to, to trick David into counting his armies, which God forbade him to do. It was idolatry. Now, in none of those situations, let me just throw this out there, the devil made me do it does not suffice, okay? And here's the reason why. It's because all the devil did was take an area of your life that was unresolved and manipulate it to his own devices. He didn't create the, the, the lack of resolution. He just used what was unresolved in your life to manipulate and, and use to his own devices. Simply, you and I become, when that happens, we become casualties in his battle against the Lord. So what Paul says again is saturate yourself with the gospel. And you saturate yourself with the gospel by wearing God's armor, by wearing heavenly armor. Paul gives us two commands. You want to beat the devil? Here's a, a sure, surefire proof for you to beat the devil in your life, okay? Two commands by Paul. The first, he says, is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Why does Paul say this? Let, let's slow, slow down just for a second. I, I think Paul says this, to be strong in the Lord, because Paul knows that we do not have enough in us Outside of the Holy Spirit working in our life, we do not have enough in us to defeat the devil and the spiritual forces of wickedness. Friends, we don't. Bottom line, we need God's power. Here's an obvious statement. We all want to engage the battles of life from a position of strength, don't we? Yeah, that's, an, that's a sort of rhetorical question because it's true. Like when we think about our future, we want a flush 401k. We want a, a, a well-paying job so we're strong financially. We want to develop our skills and expand our knowledge base so, so we can be strong and marketable in whatever area we pursue. Uh, we, when we need to make decisions, we want to be strong in our ability to weigh the option by putting together cost-benefit analyses. We're trying to raise children, right? We, we want to be strong in our ability to guide and shape them in, in the right way. Okay, what the gospel says is counterintuitive to how we often think. And the reason I say that is because what the gospel, gospel says is not for us to be strong in ourself, but to be strong in the Lord, to let him be our strength, to let him be our power and our security in each and every area of life. Can I use the old cliche? What Paul is saying is let go and let God. Friends, the gospel is the opposite of being strong in self. Listen, you cannot be both strong in yourself and strong in God at the same time. And it's only where we sense our weakness that I think we actually find the strength of God. Let me, let me qualify that with two questions. Where do you feel strong right now in your life? Leaning into your own, own strength, your own power. Your own, where do you feel strong right now? Hear, hear this. That's where you're the weakest. Because that's where you're least likely to depend on God's power. Which means if Satan attacks that area, guess what? You don't got enough in you to defeat him. Flip side, where do you feel weakest right now? Is it in a friendship, a marriage, a place of employment? Where do you feel weakest? That's an invitation where you feel weakest to trust in the Lord. That's actually where you can be the strongest because it's in your weakness that you trust and rely on the strength of God. What does Paul say to the Corinthians? 
Three times I asked God to remove this thorn. But then I realized his grace is sufficient for where I am weak. Guess what? God is strong. The first command to beat the devil is to be strong in the Lord and the might of his power. The second is to put on the whole armor of God. And when you do so, Paul says, you will be able to stand against the schemes or the cunningness or the wiles of the devil. How do you become strong in the Lord? You put on the armor of God. I just want to look at one piece this morning. Not all six, just one piece because of time. Paul says, take up the belt of truth. Or better yet, let's look at the last one. Put on the, spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Friends, you want to know something? We all lean into something to determine what is right, don't we? That's what this whole series is about, this whole Core 52 initiative. We all lean into something to determine what is right. Is it culture telling us? Is it popular opinion? Is it political persuasion? Is it my own pride and stubbornness, right? Paul is saying the only way that we can escape the deception of the enemy is to let the word of God interpret reality for us. Friends, Satan will bombard us constantly with lies. From the very beginning, his strategy was to get people to, to dismiss and discard the word of God. He did it in two ways. He either tries to manipulate us to get us to neglect it or to doubt it. Remember Adam and Eve? What was the first question the devil, taking the form of the servant, asked Adam and Eve? Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say? He's going to get us to either neglect or doubt his word. Now, I see a lot of doubting right now in the American culture when it, when it comes to the, the word of God, but I think for those of us in the church, I don't think we doubt it as much as we neglect it. I really do. Look, we know God's truth is contained within this thing. It's just we don't pick it up and study it. Can I admonish us this morning? Man, it is crazy how much we neglect the word of God. And honestly, it really makes no sense at all because we believe in the importance of it, don't we? Uh, Richard Dawkins, world-famous atheist, not really a friend of mine, uh, world-famous atheist, got up on stage once, and he said to a crowd of people, Christians were in that crowd, he goes, I'll make a, um, a gamble with you. I will give you $3 million right now. I will hand you a check for $3 million if you do one thing for me. If you never again open up the word of God. You never read it. You never study it. You never hear it. You never meditate on it. You never teach it to your children. I'll give you $3 million. If you devoid your life, Devoid the word of God from your life. I'll give you $3 million. That's a lot of money, right? Who of us would take him up on that offer? Who would take the money and run? I don't think any of us would. Why? Because the word of God is valuable, and we know it. So with that said, does the laziness we, we have in studying it and teaching it and memorizing it and, and reflecting on it make any sense at all? No. The most important dimension uh, of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is that it tells the truth about Jesus. Jesus in John 14 says, I am the truth. To know me is to know truth. To not know me is to be totally deceived about life. 
Church, you got to let the gospel dominate your thinking. Every day, every moment, let the gospel dominate your thinking. Every morning, put it on in the form of spiritual armor. Why? So you can stand firm against the powers and the forces of darkness and actually beat the devil back to hell. But not in your own strength. In the strength of Jesus. The question at the end of Ephesians, and I'm going to end with this, is do you know Jesus? Friends, he's the only way to salvation. He's the only way to victory. Will you join me this day and stand strong in the strength of our Lord? And will you stand with me today with the full armor of God? The only way darkness wins is if we fail to shine the light of Jesus. Will you shine with me? Let us pray. Well, holy God, this morning we have been presented with the reality of spiritual battles that take place all throughout our life journeys. God, so often we think the enemy are the people we are angry with or the family members that frustrate us or the coworker that just dismisses us. But really the reality is, Lord, our battle is ultimately not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of darkness. Therefore, Lord, today we want to go into that battle strong, not in our own might, but in yours. We want to go into this battle that we're, we're facing, wearing the full armor of heaven. And so, God, when we suit up, will you use us to push back the darkness by shining your light in this world. And God, as we prepare to partake in Holy Communion, to eat the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will you re-strengthen us, spiritually speaking, for what lies ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.